Okay, so we will start the introductions with Chisholm Daisy, the host of um, these events and the founder of Diversify. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me? Okay. Hi, my name is Chisum Udeze. I am Nigerian. I uh, spent uh, have spent a better part of my life in the West, so uh, the US uh, primarily, and over the past 10, 11, 12 years in Europe, uh, the Netherlands, the UK, and now Norway. Um, I am an economist, and uh, so I work uh, across the world on sometimes exciting, sometimes boring data-driven uh, projects uh, and passion projects uh, uh, that has now turned into, you know, an, uh, a growing organization is Diversify, uh, and I'm also the founder of Herspace, which is a co-creation uh, community for women uh, in Oslo and also across the world. I'm really excited to be here today. I know there's so much that I will learn from, you know, Kevin and William and all of you. So I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I, uh, just my background on DEI, I am a DEI enthusiast and consultant. So you will see me get passionate today. I can't help it. Yeah, so happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you, Chisholm. And thank you for, you know, setting up this initiative. It's been very enriching for many of us across people across the world who have provided excellent feedback. So thank you, Chisholm. Now I'm going to come to you, Kevin. Could you please introduce yourself? Certainly. Thank you, Hyacinth. And um, yeah, I'd like to follow on from what Chisholm said with passion. Let's stay on passion. So what am I passionate about? About what I call social sustainability. That's, um, I'd say that's about helping people to manage stress, anxiety, and to avoid burnout and dropout at home and at work. So that's about um, taking care of ourselves, of one another and the planet. And that's really important because I think we're at a unique sort of moment in time now in human evolution where thousands of years of what I call contemplative science, where all the yogis have been doing, has come together with neuroscience and quantum physics to give us some evolutionary insights. And that's really the opportunity of our age, evolve, reconnect, or go down the Swanee, I think. So my contribution to that is as mind trainer at MindLab Oslo, where we work with awareness of work and well-being at work programs to help organizations up there in a game. And if there's one other thing I'd like to say before passing on, that is gratitude, which is one of the superpowers that I recommend for myself and others. So I just want to say thanks to Chisholm and team for this opportunity and for including me. Thank you to Amalia and Luca, my kids, for refocusing me and my life after a serious illness a few years ago. I wouldn't be here today saying this without them helping me to uh, reconnect and redirect my life. So that's my gratitude practice done for today. Thank you. Wonderful. And we are grateful to have you with us, Kevin. So thanks for joining us today. And, you know, having you know panel with men is really wonderful because quite often men don't join in these conversations all too often, and especially not black men. So welcome, <laughs> William. Welcome, William. Let's celebrate. Let's 
give it for the boys. Oh, welcome, William. <laughs> right, you need to unmute and share your. William, could I ask you to unmute, please? There we go. Thank Got you. so caught yeah. up in the celebrating that forgetting to unmute, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, my name is William Kweku Pinto, and um, originally from Ghana in West Africa. And I've lived in uh, Germany, Belgium, and now in Norway. Um, anything culture, everything culture, I'm passionate. I, uh, I, I think it's, it's challenging to talk about culture because uh, you end up, um, we end up generalizing about culture. And uh, we forget that um, we are like a forest. There are individual trees that make up a forest. Some focus on the forest and some focus on the individual trees. So um, I'm looking forward to this and I hope to learn from you and um, we see how this uh, yeah, will uh, unfold. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here, William. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we're just gonna do a little bit of a practice now. Um, did anybody watch Black Panther? If you did, can I see your hands? Yeah, you watched Black Panther. Right, so do you remember when, um, you know, people were getting excited, what did they do? When they really heard something or saw something that they loved, they use their shoulders to celebrate, right? They use their shoulders to celebrate and they cry. So today I'm gonna ask you to get involved, use your shoulders to celebrate when we see you on camera so that we can know, there we go, let's practice, get some shoulder action in there so we can know, yes, that was a point that hit the soul. Awesome, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right, so, Everybody's geared up and everybody's ready to go. So for the first question, I'm just gonna throw it in. I'm gonna ask all of you guys, and I'll start with you, Chisholm. So what does a diversity and inclusion mean to you in the context of cross-cultural communication? Thanks, Harrison. Um, so within a context of uh, diversity, uh, cross-cultural and inclusion, communication. I can't talk today, obviously. But diversity uh, means, to me, acknowledging that each of us are unique and recognizing our individual differences on, you know, a basis of known diversity par parameters. So I'm talking about gender, ethnicity, race, ideologies, physical abilities, sexual orientation, political beliefs, and the like. Uh, and inclusion uh, uh, within this context means the practice of providing equitable access to resources and opportunities for people, and especially those who might be otherwise uh, excluded on a basis of you know, factors like culture and ideology or perspectives like I just mentioned. So to me, inclusion within cross-cultural communication means creating space for involving and valuing people from different cultures, ideologies, and perspectives. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Chisholm. Thank you. Oh, am I still muted? No, no, I'm not. Thank you so much. Um, Kevin, can I come to you, please, and ask for, you know, in the context of diversity and inclusion, what cross-cultural communication means to you? Sure. Thank you, Hyacinth. Um, how to follow that? I'd start with my area of most engagement and uh, experience, uh, communication. I mean, uh, communications that allow diversity and inclusion, for me, that means uh, it's a choice between do you want to communicate or do you want to camouflage? You know, um, camouflage is like closed and protective and controlling and sort of communications is all about opening up and contributing. Um, so the opening up and contributing type of communication that supports psychological safety. We can create the safety so that we can live and work boldly. And that really requires that we're vulnerable, willing to be vulnerable and pretty naked, you know, to let go of part of our identity and just rediscover without burning out. So that's why we need the safety and support from each other. And it's really important at the moment. I was just reading, um, there's a Harvard Business Review out They've done a study called um, Beyond Burnt Out, mm -hmm. and, um, and it shows that 62% of people last year experienced more burnout than usual. 89% of people last year had a worsening of their work-life sort of balance. You know? right. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think we have to really include people with a, it's an inclusive communication, which means being seen and heard. And amazingly enough, the science says that when I'm seen and heard, it's the same psychological effect on me as, as, ex, as experiencing love. So I feel wow. loved when I'm seen and heard. And I, I mean, you can experience that this is feedback. How do you do feedback at work? When I get positive feedback, I feel included and I get engaged. When I get negative feedback, this is not just me, this is, you know, average person. Negative feedback, sort of confusion, you get a neutral result. I don't really get engaged. No feedback, exclusion, that's the worst. That's like mm. experiencing physical pain, you know. And this is one of the things maybe we want to talk about later in some Q&A is that, you know, how that works from what I've seen in a Norwegian work culture where people get frozen out mm. because a lot of us are shy away from conflicts yes wow thank you kevin well we just want to let you know kevin that we see you and we hear you so feel the love <laughs> feel the love feel the love <laughs> there you go shoulder action <laughs> awesome <laughs> and william we're coming to you and the same i pose the same question to you so in the context of diversity and inclusion what does cross-cultural communication mean to you um, diversity. Generally, when one hears about diversity, or hears the word inclusion, then uh, oh, you think sorry, about we'll, your sound just dropped out for a second there. Okay, we we think about differences. So if there are differences, then some have to be included. So that is where inclusion comes in. And uh, if you are talking about inclusion, then definitely there will be communication. So the whole idea is there are differences. How do we deal with the differences so that we can communicate together, either verbally or non-verbal? 
And um, since uh, the globe keeps getting smaller and becoming like a village, um, having these discussions is very, very important. Uh, a lot is being written about uh, intercultural and cross-cultural competencies because even within a group, there are differences and within a group, there's a need for cross-cultural communication. So cross-cultural communication should never be seen as an African and European, no. Within African context, there's a need for cross-cultural communication. Within European context, within Norwegian context, so this is um, how I see the connection between diversity, inclusion, and cross-cultural communication. Wonderful, thank you. thank you. Thank you so much, William. I'm actually gonna come back to you shortly because you've touched on culture there, but I'd just like to say, you know, um, I'm writing notes as you guys are speaking, the things that are jumping out at me. And Chisholm, I love that you said, you know, it's about, providing equitable access to resources. And Kevin, the question that you pose, do you want to communicate or camouflage? That will preach, Kevin. And um, William, that you said, using the power of differences to facilitate communication. I really love that. If anybody in our audience has any other perspectives on what cross-cultural communication means to yourself, by all means, please share it in the chat and, you know, so everybody can see what your understanding or perspective is. If you have any questions in the chat as well. So, William, I'm going to come back to you and, um, you know, you mentioned culture and, you know, today we talked about we talk about lots of different types of cultural communication. So we set the stage. Please provide us with a definition of culture. What my, is my definition or textbook definition, which one do you want? <laughs> anyway, um, uh, what is culture? Um, culture is defined as the, uh, the sum total of our behavior, our beliefs. Um, culture is something that we learn um, from home, uh, from our community, um, it's, it, it's a form of education that doesn't take place in the classroom, right? So uh, the name given to us, uh, the food we were introduced to when we were growing up, uh, the language we heard. So culture helped us to belong to a group of people. Culture and the way we are socialized, one can say that, um, uh, it is a form of collective programming. We are expected to behave in the same way. We are expected to eat the same food. So our culture is the reason for us and them. My culture, I mean, I've been brought up to identify problems and find solutions. And uh, thanks to my culture, I'm able to identify problems and solutions. Challenges come when I move out of my culture to a new culture. And that is where this issue of cross-cultural communication comes in. So my understanding of culture is this. 
It's me and my culture. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. And thank you, Kat, for sharing with us. Kat says, you know, understanding cultural ramifications of how you speak and what you say, we all receive in the context of where we come from and how we were raised. What hurts me might not even register as hurt to others. That's, and that's very true. We're in agreement with you there, Kat. So Chisholm, um, is there a difference between I'm going to read this because I've written this out. Is there a difference between multicultural, cross-cultural and intercultural communication? So that's part one of this question. And then part two, why are these important for successful workplace communication and inclusion? So is there a difference and why are they important? Thanks, Hyacinth. So I'm about to get a bit excited because uh, this is just like very academic stuff that I'm about to nerd out on. But um, William just gave a fantastic definition of culture. Uh, I just would like to add to it uh, for the context of the definitions that I'm about to hand out. Um, within this context, I perceive culture as a set of learned values shared beliefs and internalized practices among a group of people or an individual, for example. Culture is something we execute and express uh, and it changes over time. Uh, as time passes, we become better at reproducing the cultures that we're part of. And it is, it is important to note that we often partake in multiple cultures at different moments and contexts in our lives. You know, communication is a cultural practice and it is shaped by lived experience, intersectionality and customs. So to define the three types of communication uh, per Hyacinth's question, I'm gonna start with multicultural communication. This occurs when people from multiple backgrounds with different ways of communication coexist uh, without in-depth inter uh, interaction. So think of it as, you know, requiring the presence of multiple cultures with little interaction or integration between groups, you know, who remain largely separate from each other. So to put it into perspective, we can think of multicultural communication as basic prerequisite for the other types of communication because to have intercultural or cross-cultural communication, more than one culture must be present. So to clarify a little bit here, when people existing in a workplace or a country only interact on a multicultural basis, it is somewhat well, actually quite difficult to have meaningful experiences. So in order to move beyond this point, you know, it mandates, it could, for example, require language acquisition or a shift in attitude, which brings me to intercultural communication. Just like multicultural communication, intercultural communication recognizes that multiple cultures coexist in a country, in a society, or in a workplace. And it goes beyond by centering the constructive interactions that are constantly taking place between cultures. You know, and because people can uh, express or embody different 
or various cultures, then any interactions between two people can theoretically be an intercultural one. So this takes place when you, whether you speak the same language or not, you know, as, uh, uh, as William said, and we might be able to say that intercultural communication is more visible when it happens across, you know, languages. So culture and language resources or training is important to adapt to a new workplace or society because it involves learn like learning about perspective and practices of our new environment so intercultural communication requires that we are self-aware and that we take responsibility for self as an active participant in multiple cultures and in turn it allows us to enhance and deepen our own perspectives, which brings me to cross-cultural communication, which is the topic of today's discussion. So cross-cultural communication is often used interchangeably with intercultural communication, but they're actually quite different. The primary distinction between the two is the comparison between two or more cultures. So the key word being comparison. So in academia, we might find a researcher objectively trying to analyze the communication styles for the same framework or settings in different cultures. You know, as Kat said, what might hurt one person might not even resonate with another person. So for example, how might two women from different cultural groups handle, say, a conversation with their boss about equal pay or how my day perform at a job interview. You know, nonetheless, it is important to note here that sometimes the patterns found in a case study might be generalized and boxed into personality attribute, attributes that are supposedly applicable to all women from that specific culture. But that is a really wrong way of perceiving culture. So we must be careful with assumptions and generalizations and preconceived notions. Comparing a group's peculiarities or behavior does not explain that entire culture. And it is not indicative of everyone within that culture. And at the same time, it does not mean that everyone from a particular group is completely different. So this is why the topic of culture is very complex. Uh, so any type of communication can involve all three types of communication, you know, uh, that I just defined. So intercultural, uh, um, uh, uh, cross-cultural and multicultural communications because we're exposed to different variants in society. And just to wrap up, uh, I'd like to think that all of us here today, you know, we practice different types of communication to a degree because we interact with different people and we always hope to find common ground even when we don't speak the same language. One thing that all people and cultures have in common is the need to be acknowledged, seen, heard, and understood. So to answer the last part of the question on why it is important for uh, uh, workplace communication and inclusion, I would say that knowing the difference between the three frameworks is important for anyone going into an unfamiliar cultural context when we interact with others at work or in a society. Knowledge is power. And with experience and training, we can learn to engage in this moment with a right and nuanced mentality to communicate effectively and also to use compassion. So hopefully that is kind of clear. 
Wow, thank you so much, Chisholm. We are three questions in. Do you guys see the caliber and quality of the info that you're getting here today? I think we need some shoulder action for what we've been receiving so far. I think it's just been, woo, man, you're blowing some brains here. You guys are on fire. <laughs> Um, all right, guys, I will ask you as well to keep your eye on the communication coming in from our beautiful participants. Um, Stina was asking you to just clarify, Chisholm, um, a point that you made difference between intercultural and cross-cultural. I believe the answer is yes, but you may want to clarify a little bit more than that. Thank you so much, um, guys. Um, Marta saying, after six years, herself who's Polish and her husband who's Swedish, still they're still learning how to communicate efficiently, efficiently through their cultural differences. Two countries, barely a few hours away, and we still stumble upon things um, that need to be explained and, dis and discussed. I won't read the rest of that, but yes, it, it's so imperative to learn how to communicate effectively. Thank you for sharing that with us, Marta. So Kevin, now I'm going to come to you and I saw that you were just about to relax, but no time for relaxation, Kevin. I'm going to put you in the firing line now. So, oh, you know, going off what Chisholm has shared with us and what William has so beautifully shared with us as well. What is intercultural awareness and intercultural empathy? What are they and why are they important for successful cross-cultural communication in the workplace? Thank you. Did Alison. you get that? Yes, I did. I'm okay. just taking my deep breath soon as I'm going to be on, in the firing line. I'm going to put myself in the firing line afterwards, but I'm going to um, continue from Chisholm with nerding out a little bit, as she called it. Um, on skillful communications, this ability to listen, notice, understand and respond in an appropriate way with our communication. And for me, um, Chisholm said knowledge is uh, power. I would say awareness is superpower. And I'm a sci-fi fan, and I mean it's a superpower. You know, We must be clear and slow. Well, if we're going to be clear, we have to slow down and simplify things. We have to monotask. That's the only way we can really be present and aware. So... We all think that, of course, we're present and aware. I'm here. I can see William sitting there. I can see some people up there. I can see out the window. Of course, I'm here. But all the science says that 50% of the time, half the time, I'm at work, at home, at play. I'm not actually here. My mind is taking me off somewhere else. So half the time, I'm not aware and present. And, and that leads to things like one piece of research said 70, 80% of our work life is fueled by stress, survival mode. And that's because we're allowing ourselves to get distracted, triggered all the time. We're not sort of, you know, choosing our focus. And when we do that, we sort of over-focus on all the external stuff and we lose that connection with the internal, our inner life, our inner intuition, um, all the compassion, all the other things that come from having a connection with the inside. And so that's the, that's the be present side of things. That's the awareness. 
Uh, if we're looking at empathy, I would say for me, that means you have to be kind, you have to be present, you have to be kind. Um, you'd say, of course, I'm kindness, you know, I'm naturally sort of kind person to myself and others. Science says 80% of the time we're mostly negative, judgmental, self-critical, all that stuff, unless we're bringing some more awareness into what we're doing. And what goes along with this is creativity, is that when I'm unaware, disconnected, not kind, then I can hardly be creative. And, and the science says the same thing. 90% of the time, we're not. We're on autopilot. Or we've got this narrow perspective. So we just default to what's familiar and our biases. And then, of course, how can we hope to go from, what was it, Norwegian to Polish culture or whatever the example was now? when we're in that space where we're there's very little empathy we're not creative we're not present so what happens with us is when we keep repeating these autopilots you know there's certainly no recipe for understanding or dialogue or intercultural empathy or anything else it's and when we repeat it it becomes this sort of narrow mindset you know it actually when we do it enough times repeat our mental emotional patterns enough times it actually gets fixed in my body you know, it changes my chemistry, which changes me at a cellular level. So, of course, it feels natural. So, like, being this way just feels like, well, this is me. It's natural, you know. So, I can't, you know, I get very irritated with people when I'm in uh, organizations who just say, just change your mindset. You know, it's nonsense, you know. We've got to learn to change mode if we're going to have any chance of changing our behavior. And I call that the dooby dooby doo methodology which is that's your cue hyacinth actually for doing some you know it's like it's probably Fra frank sinatra dooby dooby doo but we need and if we're going to dooby dooby doo our way through life we need these superpowers of presence positivity and purpose the three p's that was me nerding out um let's do something seeing as i'm talking about dooby dooby doo i'd like to do an experiment it just takes a very short while but I'd like everyone to get involved. And the first thing is, I'm going to try and be a little bit naked and vulnerable. And I just like everybody who's in at the moment, just to take a look at me. And who do you see? And I'd love you to write that into the chat. Who do you see at the moment? Just throw some words in there in the chat. And I would love, Hyacinth, if it's possible, if you could collate what's in the chat, just throw it back to me after this session for my Certainly. own valuable feedback and insight. Yeah. Certainly. Wow. A wise and man. Intelligent. As people are doing that, I'm going to do the other side of this, which is the diversity facet of this side. So I'm going to share my diversity. Whatever you saw, these are the facets of my identity I've used through the years to create me. Let's see how many of you I managed to include or exclude with this list. So, abandoned child, unloved, working class, middle class, black sheep, bully, racing cyclist, victim, punk, raster, ghostwriter, filmmaker, meditator, anti-apartheid activist, Group worker, journalist, environmentalist, man, father, outsider, leader, British, Buddhist, vegetarian, expat. I could go on and on. 
Wow. Be interesting to see how inclusive and exclusive that was for the audience today. <laughs> wow. wow. Kevin, I have to give you some shoulder action there. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> woo. Wow. Well, you know, that was beautiful. I love how you shared with us there all the facets of yourself through your journey that have shaped who you are today and what everybody sees a perspective which really paints a much bigger picture of how we perceive the world you know we don't know the full story we only know a smidgen a smidgen thank you so much that was really wonderful thank you Ooh, so now I'm going to fly on the beautiful wave of that awesomeness and I'm going to come and land with you, William. It's more calmness, more sereneness. And I'm going to ask you this, William. So from a societal perspective, what are some of the challenges to cross-cultural communication in society? Kevin, are you a mind reader? I mean, it's like you were in my thoughts when I was preparing for this uh, uh, discussion, a uh, conversation, because I was going to ask if people see me, what do they see? You see an individual, automatically your thoughts, you know, so many things happen in there. What you've read about somebody like me on CNN comes up. Uh, what you've been told by friends. Um, yeah, he's an African. Um, uh, maybe he has a name that I cannot pronounce, you know. So these thoughts definitely will affect the way you would want to communicate with me because of a fallacy of hasty conclusion. You've already concluded, you know this guy. He's, he, he, he's, he's, he's black, maybe he's dealing in drugs. Maybe I don't know anything. So you've made this assumption. How are we going to communicate? If you have all these assumptions about William, you have disqualified me before allowing me to say a word. So that even if I have the competences you are looking for, you've disqualified me. How, how can we communicate? A bit of ignorance, a bit of arrogance, a bit of misunderstanding, a bit of assumptions, and a bit of this so-called thing we like throwing around common sense. What is common sense? In Norway, it's common sense to stand in a queue, to take a bus or to, uh, to go to a pharmacy shop. You take a, uh, a queue lab, right? And you wait for your turn. In some societies, 
that common sense wouldn't work. You know, so why should you tell me to use my common sense when we have differences in what we identify as common sense? You know? So the, the, the challenges with cross-cultural communication, to me, the most important one is all the myths that we have created over the years, um, all, the, all the false narratives that has been reinforced when we were going to school. You know, so there are so many things that makes it challenging. For example, you read in textbook about individualistic societies and uh, society of collectivism, right? So you see me, an African collective William, but in reality, you find individualism in collective society, the context may be different. And that is what matters. We talk about um, a certain group of people not having emotions. All human beings have emotions. But when we show our emotions may be different. How do you show love to a beautiful Norwegian woman? Are you going to give her um, uh, something from Ghana, which, you know, um, no. What a rose flower would do for a Norwegian woman, I'm generalizing here, something else would do for another woman. So one should be aware of all these differences to be able to communicate, both verbally, non-verbal communication. Thank wow. you. Thank you so much, William. I am basking in the brilliance of the panel today. Mark the date, everybody, mark the date. Many of you are gonna walk away from this conversation changed and transformed on the inside. There's some real gems and pearls of wisdom that are being dropped on you today. And you may actually need some time to digest what's coming at you today, because this is just real, real, beauty um you know i love you said a fallacy of hasty conclusions leads to um being disqualified leads to disqualification and that's before we even get to awareness or empathy wow thank you so much for sharing william and so chisholm we're going to come to you and i'm going to ask you the same question about cross-cultural communication, but you know, what is the importance of it in the workplace? And you know, how can we achieve successful cross-cultural communication in the workplace? Oh, I'm still kind of recovering from Kevin and William. That was, wow, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I have to digest all of that. Uh, but uh, to answer your question, uh, um, the uh, from a workplace perspective, what are some barriers to cross-cultural communication? Uh, I will maybe name 
the top three that comes to mind. Uh, and the first is ethnocentrism. And I think William has touched on it. Uh, we have a natural tendency to look at other people or people of other cultures through our own lens. You know, where entrocentricism is concerned, we implicitly believe that our way of doing things and our way of being is the only or the right way. You know, so it leads us to judge, uh, um, it leads us to judge others uh, or behaviors that don't necessarily conform with how we view the world. And as a result, we negatively judge people that don't conform to our worldview vision. And this is one of the main causes of the us versus them mentality, which, you know, can lead to quite a number of damaging consequences. The second uh, that comes to mind is stereotyping. Individuals are unique. You can and should never predict a person's behavior or work ethic based on their nationality, race, gender, or religion. This can be extremely detrimental at worst and at best. It can lead us to have unconscious biases towards others that we deem different from us. Uh, the third that I can think about is a, a cultural clash or conflicting values. You know, cultural clash manifests when people's behaviors uh, uh, compromise our values or vision of the world. So when we don't understand or agree with a behavior, it just really means that there are conflicting values at play. So co uh, common cultural clashes within a workplace can show up in communication styles. So if we look at direct versus indirect communication, in the Netherlands, where I have lived uh, for about three years, it is quite professional and appreciated to speak clearly so you leave no room for misunderstanding in Norway it is my relative experience that people prefer to communicate indirectly you know the challenge of course in both cases is that one might consider the Dutch very di or relatively direct way of communicating as insensitive or rude whereas the Norwegian relative indirect way of communicating could be considered to be in de uh, disingenuous or imprecise so if you think about another culture clash you know it could be structured it, it could be yeah structured or flexible scheduling so in some cultures people strictly adhere to schedule whereas in others they treat it as a suggestion so my west african brothers and sisters here uh can appreciate that when we say let's have a meeting in 30 minutes that that can mean tomorrow whereas in germany or in the uk not starting a meeting in 30 minutes is likely you know disrespectful so just a quick example of an experience i had uh when i moved to the south of the us uh in america to study uh for my bachelor's degree my freshman year, I didn't have a car. So a friend was supposed to pick me up to take me to Walmart because I didn't have a car. And when I spoke to him, he said, I'm on my way, I'll be there in a minute. 20 minutes later, I called him. He said, I'll be there in a minute. Two hours later, I called him and he said, I'll be there in a minute. He eventually showed up like five hours later. And I learned that day that in the South, I'll be there in a minute is a figure of speech to mean I'll be there as soon as I can. So 
I think that uh, uh, another way to think about uh, uh, how culture clash can show up as a challenge in the workplace within cross-cultural communication is to think about egalitarian versus hierarchical uh, 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 workplace based on hierarchy. Uh, countries like Norway and Sweden, they have a more flat, you know, working culture where people can voice their opinions and they tend to speak up. In countries like say Nigeria or Morocco, there's relatively more hierarchy in the workplace. So people might not feel freely, uh, uh, might not, yeah, feel so free to speak up when their bosses uh, are in the room. So these are three main, well, these are the three top that come to my head. So it's the stereotyping, the culture clash and the ethnocentricism. Thank you so much, Chisholm. Thank you. So we just to let everybody know and, and slightly reset the room a little bit. You know, this section of the conversation is scheduled for 90 minutes. We are now um, 50 minutes through. So we've only got 40 minutes left of this section. Um, I, I know that I can see many nods and I can see there are a lot of people who have really been digesting a lot of the information here. Don't forget to submit your questions because in 40 minutes time we will get to the Q&A section where we will answer your questions and bring you into the conversation. Okay, so thank you. Maybe these guys are doing such a phenomenal job of explaining that there are no questions, but we can still have an open conversation together. So thank you so much. So Kevin, I'm going to come to you and ask you, how can we use cross-cultural communication to resolve conflict? Thanks, Hyacinth, and thanks for the time check as well. I'll try and be brief and to the point. Um, I was reading uh, how diverse teams are 33% more profitable in some way. And that's been, you know, banded around all over the place. But the thing is, it's, you know, that also creates more disagreements, more conflicts which is, you know, lots of discomfort and it's challenging for most of us. It can quickly turn into chaos unless we know how to embrace difference. And for me, that, that process is driven by, you know, you have to, I have to include and acknowledge my own patterns of thinking, feeling and doing. Once I'm there with that acceptance practice, then I generally have to take quite a few deep breaths and wait and it's sometimes it's just a one, a one second pause that's needed. So I don't go, you know, it's a dis, little bit of distance from my autopilot, my automatic reactions. And once I've waited that second, usually I'm clear enough to make wise choices and be creative again. Um, and that's something completely different than acceptance practice than what I see a lot of, which is resistance and repression. Um, I remember one conversation with a manager who said it just been up to headquarters where they'd said, we now have a zero accident policy. Now he came back to me and we talked about it. And he said, uh, after a while, you know, actually what that means is a zero truth policy, isn't it? And I agree with him totally, you know, because when you decide that, you know, we're gonna have zero accidents, you just negate in reality. We are gonna have accidents. How do we communicate and deal with them, you know? So there was going to be no truth. And that's what had happened in quite a few other workplaces too. Zero policy, accident policy meant nobody talked about the accidents that happened, which is very about face. Um, quick anecdote, if we have time for that. I used to live on Findor. Um, one night I came home to the place I was living in. There was a musician who was an alcoholic 
who was visiting and he um, attacked me verbally and almost uh, physically and uh, I had to sit down with him and talk. He felt like a real victim. He wanted to say to me, I was a runner at the time, and he said, you know, you're so fit and you can run all day and look at me, I'm drinking too much and I'm in a real state. And you know, so it was sort of victim place. And as we started to talk, I was trying to tell him that, you know, I was running because I was depressive, seriously depressive at the time. And we found out that that was our common ground. We were both avoiding pain, him with the alcohol, me with the depression, really, allowing myself into that depression and wallowing in it. We were both becoming victims. And we found some common ground there. And after a while, two or three nights of like him playing guitar and us drinking together and me running and stuff, we made a sort of pact that we were going to use what we were doing there to, as practice for our our individual development and for reconnecting and including other people in our lives. Um, he was using his music in a much better way and I was using this running in a much better way. A couple of years on, I returned to Findhorn and then I returned with the Peace Marathon. I'm running a Peace Marathon along with a bunch of people who run a marathon around the world for peace. So what I'm saying really is that this, you know, conflict resolution is about creativity, using that type of creativity to work yourself out of your patterns. And, uh, you know, mostly people in our age, I don't know how many people here are below 35, but people are 35 plus, we don't have much creativity left unless we're doing something very active about it. There's a huge European study done years ago that's said that at the age of five, we're 90% creative. 90% new things in our minds, in our feelings, in our actions the whole time. By the time we've hit 35, we're down to 10%. We're just using this fairly redundant set of thoughts, feelings, and actions that are going on auto-repeat. Thankfully, these days, we now know that we can change this behavior ourselves and our patterns, even down to the chemistry in cells, so that I feel like a new me. I can bring a new me to new situations with a little bit of a mental emotional practice for sure, or quite a lot most of the time. Thank I you. Stop there. I should stop there. Yes, thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Um, I have quite a lot of questions to still get through and we've got 30 minutes to get through these now. So we're powering through. Thank you so much. You know, um, what you're sharing with us is really phenomenal. I see the chat is blowing up. People are really engaging in communication, which is fantastic. So thank you to our wonderful panelists. And William, I'd just like to come back to you because you have experience in facilitating training for cross-cultural coaches, right? I, I believe that we, you mentioned that earlier. And they provide guidance on cultural orientation to UN refugees. Um, so what are some of the most important tools of cross-cultural communication a person can learn and implement to ensure effective cross-cultural communication in their society or workplace? So as a trainer who's training, you know, or facilitating and training coaches who provide guidance um, to UN refugees, what are some of the most important cross-cultural communicational tools that you can use? Uh, you're on mute. 
Can you rephrase the question, please? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, so you mentioned that you do cross-cultural um, training for coaches mm. and you provide guidance on cross-cultural cross orientation for UN refugees. So based on your work that you've been doing with the training, what are some of the most important tools that a person can learn to use and implement um, when it comes to cross-cultural communication? Yes, um, yeah, I do, not only me, but then a team of uh, colleagues, we do train facilitators or coaches who travel abroad to give cultural orientation to... Uh, sorry to interrupt you, William. Your sound yeah. has just gone off a little bit. Hello? Do you hear yes. me now? Yes, okay. much better. Sorry. Thank you. Um, I, I said that, uh, yes, I do... Um, organized training programs for um, cross-cultural facilitators uh, who travel abroad to give uh, orientation to uh, Norway-bound UN refugees. And um, uh, yeah, part of the training involves uh, talking about communication. And then, um, so when there is communication, there is always a need to listen, right? So uh, listening, um, um, it's, it's very important uh, trying to explain uh, things using audiovisual aids when you are, uh, are conducting uh, training. Um, in any teaching methodologies, we say that one always has to move from the known to the unknown. It makes teaching much easier. You start from a reference point that the people who are going to travel to a new country or the people who are going to start a new workplace. And uh, this is also true for diplomats. When diplomats are being posted to new societies, they get training on cross-cultural uh, communication. Um, they, get, uh, they get to see video how people communicate in that society, uh, both verbal and non-verbal. Uh, to share with you an experience, uh, when my mother visited me in Germany uh, many years ago, uh, you know, you do this, choose Ovidazine, it means bye-bye, see you soon, right? Meanwhile, where I originally come from, this can mean come, right? So. A symbol that has two different meanings. So if I'm not aware that this means bye-bye, and when you say bye-bye, you go apart from each other. But then my mother was growing because she understood this to mean come. She would say, she's calling me, but she's going away. What is wrong? And the German woman who wasn't expecting my mom to come to her would be like, no, but normally when you say Baba, you, you know, you depart from each other. This is a classical example of miscommunication. One symbol that has two different meanings in different contexts. So 
when you are conducting training on cross-cultural communication, one has to give examples. One has to explain the possible challenges. Um, one has to use video, one has to use case studies. Um, and uh, there are many tools out there, but because of lack of time, um, yeah, I will expect more questions and then we take it from there. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, William. I um, really like the example that you used there of, you know, a, a mix, a mix up in communication and how simple it is for us to communicate in the wrong way. So, you know, thank you for that example. So Chisholm, we're going to come back to you. And I know you've had some time to sit back and just digest what the gentlemen on the panel have been sharing with us. So I, I want to ask you, is there a better or possibly more accurate term than cultural competence um, to describe individuals' ability to interact with each other's or another culture? So is there a more accurate term or a better term than cultural competence, would you say? Uh, yes, uh, uh, to clarify the term cultural competence, it is not circumspect or nuanced enough. For starters, one cannot be competent in all cultures and competence in one, two or three cultures is not sufficient in a multicultural world to claim cultural competence. Nonetheless, I think intercultural literacy or competence or cross-culturally responsive or informed could be a better, more nuanced term to use because I think these terms acknowledge that there is a two or multi-way process that requires active listening and learning from each other. So you don't claim, so just to reduce it to kind of what annoys me in my work as an economist is sometimes I go to sessions and I see, you know, say an American claiming to be an African expert. And I'm sitting here, an African, I can't even claim that I'm a Nigerian expert. So we need to be careful <laughs> with how we use words. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Could you just repeat the two suggestions that you gave there of um, alternatives, just so that everybody, because um, I saw people writing furiously, just to ensure that people actually got those terms. Uh, so I think instead of cultural competence, uh, I think it's probably better to use cross-culturally responsive or informed. And the other one is intercultural literacy or intercultural competence, because it leaves room for growth and learning. Wonderful, thank you so much. Hope everybody got that for the people that I saw writing there. Thank you. Okay, so um, William, where does the responsibility lie for a new employee, for example, and the person who's already an employee, for example, a company um, management or leader, where does the responsibility lie for um, embracing the cross-cultural communication between the new person and the existing employee or the management? Yes. Sorry, you're muted. It's okay, I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, 
it's a two-way adjustment uh, highway, let me put it that way, mm -hmm. uh, so that uh, both that individual who has, who has joined an organization has a responsibility, and then also the leadership also has a responsibility. So it has to be a two-way um, adjustment, ensuring that, um, you know, yes, we are talking about culture, and then uh, we, there is also organizational culture, uh, right, which is different from the general culture uh, that uh, we normally uh, know or, yeah. So when a new person starts a new job, there should be a form of cultural orientation for the person to understand how things are done, um, you know. And then it's the leadership's responsibility to ensure that this new person is provided with all the tools, everything the person needs. Because uh, uh, in, in Ghana, we, we generally say that uh, there are many ways of making granite soup. So if you don't teach me how to make, uh, I wouldn't say jollof rice because I don't want any Ghanaian, Nigerian uh, fight on this. Uh, <laughs> Granola soup is better. Now, so there are many ways of doing things. So it is the organization's responsibility to inform the new arrival how things are done in this organization. And then the new arrival should be flexible enough to make changes in uh, his or her way of doing things. So this is my take on this uh, issue. Thank you so much, William. And thank you for trying to avoid a full-on war between the cultures <laughs> here. <laughs> thank you. So, Kevin, I'm going to come to you now. And um, I was just wondering, what are some of the principles of communication um, that individuals or management, for example, um, could apply to ensure, so what are some of the principles of communication that individuals or management can apply to ensure that their ability to communicate is not corrupted by negative judgment or preconceived notions? So you talked about, you mentioned this before, um, about, you know, I think William mentioned it and you mentioned it about the preconceived notions or negative judgments before even knowing someone. So what are some of the principles of communication that we can apply to avoid that? Thanks, Isaac. Um, yeah. I'm going to just do that as some bullet points to stay brief. So, um, which, you know, we can put in the chat for people to discuss or whatever. But I just wanted to respond, if I can, just to something that William said. He said a lot of really interesting things, but it was just about what's, uh, what's individual uh, response, your responsibility in an organisation and what's the organisation's responsibility. Here it was in terms of onboarding people, but it can be whatever. Because for me, it's what's interesting to, to look at there is like, in a, in a sense, when you're, uh, when you're out there in the world, in an organization, in a culture, whatever it is, um, you create a, a sort of footprint, yeah? Your footprint in the world. And the truer that footprint is to who I am and my identity, as I believe I am at the moment, uh, the more impact it has. So my responsibility then as an individual is 
to stay clear and, and communicate my truth. Um, so that's individual responsibility. And to embrace others' truth as well. That's part of it for sure. And then within the organization, you know, my, my impact on other people is uh, it depends on the culture, depends on the environment where I put that footprint, you know? So that's the collective and organizational responsibility for me is a culture that allows our footprints to have the impact and bring out the potential that we have. So that was just to respond to what my good friend, or I hope to be a good friend of William. Um, but yeah, um, principles of communication. Um, I would say um, three level listening, dialogue and speaking is one thing to think of. Um, the three levels, one is like being attentive to what's actually being said, and that includes body language, intended meaning, all the things you can pick up. All the things you can pick up depends on being really connected at the same time to your my inner responses, my intuition, the bias which might come up when I'm listening to what's being said. So that's the second level. And the third level is being aware of surroundings. Um, in William's example of uh, the wave, the symbol, um, I used to work in conflict resolution center in uh, London where we had to go in and um, reconcile two families that lived next door to each other. A three year feud between family of Indian or, uh, origins and um, a standard sort of English West, um, uh, Cockney family and it started on the second day they they moved in the Cockney lady leaned over the fence to the Indian lady as she walked past and waved and of course the Indian lady thought you know why does she want me to go away we just moved in and it started there they never got to check that out and three years on there was a violent feud going on so that's you know awareness of surroundings con context well so what does this mean you know where I am at the moment I've got another little model, which I call the KFC model, because it's easy to remember, because it, most people like chicken. I'm a vegetarian, I don't, but I like KFC model, which is kind, focused, and curious. So for communication that's open, aware of other people, is kind to those responses in me, to what's being said, give people a, a bit of slack, is focused, that I'm really staying with it and not getting disappearing into my past examples and uh, predispositions and stuff. And I'm curious, you know, so what does Chisholm actually mean when she sits there looking like that and things, you know, is she bored? Is she engaged? Is she off somewhere thinking about what she's going to say next? I don't know. Stay curious. So that's KFC. And then as a Buddhist, Buddha said that right speech and communication has four principles. And this is a checklist, really. When I'm communicating, does it promote harmony and goodwill? Does it reduce anger and tension? Is it useful? Is it truthful? So that's an easy checklist. I have posted around lots of walls but in my office space and wherever, because it's an easy thing for me as I'm sitting in that, if, if I'm writing that email, if I'm sitting on that phone conversation, I can easily think, you know, is this going to reduce anger and tensions? Is it useful, truthful? No. So I think they should, that would be my three quick models, bullet point lists. Wow, oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. That was very practical, Kevin, um, because it, it was apparent to me, you know, as you were sharing the story of what happened um, 
in London, you know, it, it just shows us how easy it is to get things wrong, how to how easy it is to get communication wrong. And so it's vitally important that we're all trying to continue to grow and to learn. So thank you for the points that you shared. Just let everybody know we will be um, sending a follow-up email to all participants that have attended this event today. And we will share with you the tips that the panelists have given and any resources just to make sure that I know sometimes you want to listen rather than take notes because then you miss something when you're writing, but we will send these tips to you just so that you have them in writing. So we are fastly running out of time. And so Chisholm, I just wanted to ask you, what are some of the challenges that leaders may face when it comes to um, CCC? You know, as we're talking about now communication, what are some of the challenges that leaders may face? And, you know, what are the benefits in the workplace? And just really quickly. Okay, uh, so some challenges, I'm going to say one, I, I think uh, some of, uh, one of the challenge, uh, could, we could look at psychological barriers. So because to successfully lead or manage cross-cultural uh, teams, leaders need to be flexible. It's not easy to deviate from our natural preferences because doing so might feel inauthentic. Uh, uh, but this comes with the territory of leading people who come from different backgrounds. So uh, uh, for a personal example, you know, when I, I work with my team, you know, the way I am, if I don't tell you something is wrong, expect that everything is fantastic. And when I do say something could be better, it does not negate all the, you know, the, the great things you've done. But I also realize that this does not always translate for my team. Uh, they might sometimes think that even when I don't say something, I might not be satisfied with your work. So I've learned and I continue to learn to communicate in a way that does not dampen, you know, their confidence. So when we look at psychological barriers, I'm reminded of a question sorry, like something I read a while ago about uh, an European man, maybe a French man who had gone to America to lead a team, but his team struggled with his French way of giving feedback uh, because it centered on, you know, what was wrong rather than what was done well. And as a result, they started feeling less confident about their abilities. So even though he knew what the problem was, he thought that changing to fit the US way was a bit too inauthentic so he returned back to you know his country so he had a psychological barrier that prevented him from being flexible and understanding that even though it's not his preferred way the american way is not wrong and that got in the way of things so i guess in this case then the the obvious benefits of uh, cross-cultural communication is that it reduces conflict it helps it helps people feel understood valued and respected so that would be my quick answer okay fabulous thank you so much um and emma just to um address your comment there thank you so much for you know commenting for, for, to all um attendees for commenting and I just want to say that was my this is a classic case of misunderstanding cross-cultural uh, communication that's my British way of saying ain't no playing here girl we're asking some hard questions so there was no harm meant from my side either just so you know that okay so I'm gonna wrap it up now and we're coming to we've got we're 19 minutes past two so we have 11 minutes left of this section 
get your questions in everybody we're coming to you we're going to start answering your questions but before we do that i always in every session like to leave you with practical tips before i get to the practical tips i'm going to ask one more question and that is going to be to you william and the question that i would like to ask you for companies that do have diverse and multicultural teams how might management or leadership incorporate a culture of cross-cultural awareness so they've already got the multicultural team but how do they then institute you know a culture of cross-cultural awareness and communication good communication um, that's a very good question and, uh, they should um, uh, get uh, experts like Chisum to come and talk to the staff members on um, the importance of um, um, having being aware of cross-cultural um, uh, issues and uh, possible challenges you know um, sometimes we don't want to talk about differences we should be aware of differences cultural differences that can create issues and deal with them and there are so many experts out there, um, so many training programs um, out there for, for uh, organizations to be made aware of uh, uh, possible traps. Um, when, when it's lunchtime, for example, maybe I may want to eat alone in my office, you know? Uh, what does it mean? Does it mean I'm an uh, associate person who doesn't want to come into contact with, uh, uh, with the rest of my colleagues? Uh, maybe I don't want to come into contact because over the years they've been asking me questions like, when are you going back to where you come from? Which is an innocent question to the questioner. But to me, maybe they don't want me here, you know? So there are so many um, issues that can be taken up in workshops and seminars just to get people to be aware of um, challenges that can arise out of not knowing. Yeah, thank you. I want to add something to this higher sense actually, just quickly. Um, you have one minute, Chisholm. Uh, when uh, talking about this, I think it's especially from a workplace perspective, I think it's important to define, you know, where the responsibility lie. And as I, you know, listened to William, I found myself thinking about it. And I think that it is important that we know that it's not just on leadership, because oftentimes when we talk about diversity and inclusion, you know, the responsibility often falls to leadership, but I think it's both on leadership and the individual. So from an individual perspective, I think it's important to continually work to assess your assumptions, your preconceived notions, your unconscious or implicit biases, and your privilege. And no matter, uh, 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 no matter what, say you've had a previous experience with somebody from a 
from a same country or uh, 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 that same person in a different context. Within a workplace setting, we must endeavor to approach each interaction on a clean slate, you know, with compassion, empathy, emotional intelligence, curiosity, like, you know, uh, Kevin said, as an individual, you are not powerless in this interaction. So take power and take responsibility. So for leaders, it is their responsibility to set the stage and lead by examples, put policies in place that support the type of inclusive workplace culture you want to exist in. When hiring, consider diversifying your pool. You know, don't hire for cultural fits, hire for cultural, uh, cultural contribution or cultural ad as it's called. And conflicts will arise when working with a diverse and multicultural team. There will be conflict, there will be uncomfortable situations, you know, that will arise. Lean into them, sit with that discomfort and find an inclusive and equitable way out of it. You know, so just create a culture of open and honest communication and safe feedback loops, which Hyacinth is super good at. So lead with grace, compassion, empathy, and humility. So my, I want to say that for leaders here, this is what you can do. For individuals here, the, you have power take some responsibility in that power. That's what I wanted to add. Awesome, thank you, Chisholm. So okay. Emma, I think you got an answer already to your question. Yep, I see some shoulder movement going on there. So um, thank you so much, Chisholm. That was uh, really, really, really brilliant. So we're gonna end with my favorite question to all three panelists, and we've got six minutes to do it. So you've got two minutes each. Please share with us your top three tips for effective cross-cultural communication. Kevin, go. Thanks, Hyacinth. Okay, number one is accept negativity. Back to, you know, reference to my uh, friend with his uh, zero accident policy, actually being a zero truth policy. So accepting negativity is the only way forward. And as you're doing that, you have to, at the same time, nurture positivity. Um, that for me can be a whole bunch of, uh, of fake it until you make it exercises. It can be encouraging fuck up nights. It can be, you know, which are a mistake to make it situations, I think. Or it can be a practice like I try and introduce um, at meetings, which is to be an angel's advocate. Don't be a devil's advocate. Be an angel's advocate. In our meetings, in our office, if someone comes, if William suggests something, the next person to talk has to support that, find something supportive to say about it. If they can't find something to support it, they keep that zipped. <laughs> so that's being an angel's advocate. That creates psychological safety and creativity and everything else follows on from that. So accept negativity and nurture positivity, that's number one. Number two is please bring more being into doing. Um, to change our behavior, we need clarity because that leads to insights. And for me, that can be very simple. It can mean when William says something I disagree with, before I respond, I take two deep breaths. In that one second gap, that is the difference between a fearful response and engagement. So deep breathing is the difference there. If I, if I respond and my breathing is shallow, I go to fear and I will respond from fear. If I deep breathe two times, the fear changes to excitement and engagement. And I respond to William in that way, which would be now, you know, give it up. <laughs> there we go. Oh, great. Thank you. And your point number three? Was that all three? 
Uh, no, I'll be cheeky with number three. It's um, why don't you explore this with me? Join my presence, positivity and purpose <laughs> mini course, which we're doing at Her Space in May. It'll be on Zoom, but you know, who knows? It'll be physical in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. So you heard it here first. Positivity um, mini course, positivity and was it purpose? Mini course? Presence, positivity. Presence. There we go. In May. So we will send those details as well in the follow up. Okay, so thank you for those three tips, Kevin. William, we are going to come to you and then we will close with Chisholm, close this section. Okay. Um, any individual we meet, we should see the person as a fellow human being. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't put that individual in a box maybe an African, maybe an European, no. Meet the person as an individual. And when you do that, you get to know the person better. Two, that individual doesn't represent the group he belongs to. That individual represents him or herself. Three, each one of us have three uniquenesses. We have our human nature. We have the cultural part of us that we learn and makes us belong to a group. And most importantly, we have the personality character part, which most of the time helps us more than the culture we come from. So this will be my three points, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Furiously writing away there. And Chisholm, we're going to close this section with you. Now, Chisholm's going to share her three top tips, practical takeaways. If there are any questions for the next section, please drop your questions in the comments box because now we're coming to you, a wonderful audience. So Chisholm, your three takeaways, please. Uh, my three top takeaways, uh, uh, first, avoid preconceptions and so preconceived notions and stereotypes because they occur when we have oversimplified or generalized characteristics uh, that we use to judge a group of people and individual associated with a group. So reducing the default behavior to seeing things as good or bad without really understanding the intent. So I think I really want to emphasize here that I think it's important that everyone on this call understands that you have power. You have the power to bridge gaps. You have the power to create the vision. So both the individuals, the employees, and the leaders on here, you will fumble. You will make mistakes along the way. And that's a part of the process. And it's OK to make mistakes. The best learnings you know, come out of mistakes. So just keep learning, get some training, and make progress. The second is to be very mindful of nonverbal communication or misinterpretation. So we, we, we send and receive nonverbal you know, messages. So when Harrison goes, do that. It's a nonverbal, right, communication. And it's really important to be mindful of what people were saying versus what they're telling us. So just really quick story here. Uh, when I was younger, in I went back to Nigeria with my mom. She took me to a country club or her country club. And we, we she was talking to some of her friends. They were eating some food and they had offered me food. And the friend goes, hey, Chisom, would you like some? I look at my mom for her approval. 
And my mom responds, uh, uh, the, 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 my mom's friend goes, Chika, is it okay for Chisum to have some food? And my mom responds, sure, if she's hungry. And I look at my mom and what she really said is, don't you dare. So I politely declined and I said, thank you very much, ma'am, I'm not hungry. So we always have to be mindful of what people are actually telling us when they are using words and their bodies. And lastly, practice active listening. You know, restate or summarize what the other person has said so you can ensure that you understood them correctly. Ask questions. You know, it helps to build rapport and it ensures that we don't misinterpret, miss or assume something and miss an important information. I think when it comes to active listening, you also need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And when you feel uncomfortable, I don't think it's a negative feeling. Like I, my, my friends, my team, people who know me will tell you, like when I feel uncomfortable, I really love it. Cause I'm just like, I need to sit with this for a second and dig deep. And I think that is where a lot of learning comes as well. So if you actively listen, you don't assume. So if Hyacinth goes, Hmm. I'm like, Hassan, what does that hmm mean? Like, does that mean hmm? I agree or hmm? Don't play with me. So things to keep in mind, top tips. Yeah. Great. Thank you. I sat here laughing away because I had many of those experiences with my mother as well. And so I totally understand what you were saying there. So we have finished the panel discussion section of this um, meeting today. And thank you so much to our wonderful panelists for everything that you've been sharing with us. Uh, we're not going to release you just yet because we are coming to our audience. So um, I see that people have been commenting and throwing in some questions now, which is great. Now, I just need to know that everybody's still with us. So give us some shoulder action. Shake it up a little bit. For those of you who are not on camera, use your um, emojis. Give us a hand up, something. Just make sure it's some life, get some blood flowing. Right. Okay, so now we're going to go into the Q&A section. Thank you guys for, as well, being so engaged throughout this whole time. Oh, I would like to um, start with Erica. So Erica was, Erica mentioned, and now the comment has just escaped me. Oh, here we go. Erica said here, Oh, my screen is moving away. Yes, Erica said, I find it a little bit confusing when we talk about communication in Norwegian culture because they seem to be straightforward for some things but indirect for others. I guess there's no simple way to answer, but I will appreciate if anyone could share their experience in this regard. Now, I was going to answer that and say, ask a Norwegian, because that's the best, going to be the best person to give you an answer on this. But then we did have a Norwegian that responded to this, and that was Vera. So, um, Vera, uh, could I just ask you to unmute and actually share with us, because you said even Norwegians struggle to communicate with each other. So could I just ask you to expound upon that? Just use 30 to 60 seconds just to answer that for us. Yeah, what I uh, had some problems with the sound, but- uh, Oh, we can hear was... Yeah, okay, good. Uh, I think uh, I'm not very stereotype Norwegian. So I felt like uh, uh, I was kind of generalized uh, because 
all Norwegians are different uh, as well. So uh, I very often experience that uh, I have trouble communicate with uh, other Norwegians because I communicate quite directly. Yeah. So I think uh, that uh, what we all have to have in mind is that, uh, as I said in the panel, that we have to um, learn people to know and not uh, make, uh, what's the word, consumptions. Assumptions, yes. Assumptions, yeah. Yes, thank you so much for sharing with us, Vera. Now, Vera didn't yeah. know that I was going to throw her under the bus there and, and ask her <laughs> to speak, but I thought, you know, it would be great to get an answer from a Norwegian. Uh, I could see a lot of head nodding, and it um, alludes to what William was saying earlier about even within cultures, you know, we're not all the same and there can be vast differences. So thank you so if much. If I could say for... something here, sorry. Yeah, sure. I just wanted to add that uh, I, because I commented to this as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, you know, you know, when I talk about or when you did ask me about cultural competence and my irritation with that all encompassing thing, I think it's really important to use relative when we are describing or comparing because it shows some level of nuance that we understand that this is not set in stone for every single person or everything because you it, it is true that you can have people even within the same culture i mean my sister and i we've grown up in the same space but we're completely different and we react to things differently so even though we are blood were different. So I think like just having that in mind and in, when comparing cultures to know that, you know, when I say something like in my experience, the Dutch are a bit more uh, 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 direct than the Norwegians does not mean Norwegians are not direct. You know, Norwegians are more direct, for example, than say the Chinese or the Koreans, right? Relatively. So it's always good to specify what or to define academically almost what what we are saying. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Chisholm, for clarifying there. And Laura, you know, on this topic, Laura actually said everyone is different. And that is a gift, she put in parentheses. Um, and it's also the word conflict has different meanings for different people, which is very true. Therefore, she asks, why are we talking about cross-cultural communication? This is needed as we have some similarities within people within our similar culture. So, you know, why are we even talking about cross-cultural communication? Who would like to, from the panel, would one of you like to jump in and answer that? Kevin? Is that a question or is she saying that this is why we are talking about No, but I'd, I'd like to ask that question. Why are we even talking, bothering to talk about cross-cultural communication? Um, yeah, I have to roll back a little bit to answer that maybe, and maybe it won't answer it, but let's let's give it a go. It, it was back to the talk about the Norwegian directness, you know. Now, I've lived half my life in Norway. So, um, even in my Gebrocken, um, I really appreciate that directness, although I would love to bring a little bit more kindness and compassion to it sometimes. So it can be on the receiving end, from as, as a Brit, half my life, it can has sometimes been experienced as brutal. But I appreciate it more than the dallying around the bushes that we do in England, thinking that we're being very sort of, you know, kind to people and things, and, and we don't say what we mean. So I, the, some of the paradox, though, of 
Norwegian culture and communication is that it, at the same time as being direct, the Norwegian language from language researchers is one of the is one of the languages in the world with the most implicit assumptions built into it. And you and apparently you see it's it's almost at a level with Japanese culture and Japanese communication. Lots of implicit codes there and things being said and not said, which as an outsider, it's taken me half my life to understand some of those, you know, bump into some of those glass ceilings wherever they are. Um, and it's even shown up in um, when they've done the, the language research in in the sort of intervals between speech and pauses. You know, the Americans, everything is explicit. So they're talking all the time. There's almost never a sort of gap or anything. In Norwegian, as probably most of us have known, when we go up to the cabin and things, and it's like in comfortable silence, you know. So all the implicit stuff going on. And then there's some talking going on. If that speaks to the question. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Yes, we're, we're basically having this conversation because it's vitally important, right? Uh, so Randy said, how can we handle anger towards one culture in the workplace? So she gave an example. Uh, her father is German and he faced a lot of anger in the 70s and 80s directed towards him just purely for being German, even though he was born in 1945 after the war. So um, how can we handle anger towards a culture in the workplace? What would be your best advice? Um, I think when on the receiving end of that anger, of course it's confusing and you don't understand why, uh, but I think a little bit of emotional intelligence and maybe compassion goes a long way just in understanding that it's really not about me. Um, and I think that even uh, if we flip this, you know, on the head in, in, in some sense where now imagine that you are a, a, a leader of an organization and you pride yourself on being diverse and inclusive and you have, you want to celebrate pride. But then you have somebody who is Catholic, for example, who believes that it goes against their faith. How do you manage that? How do you say, hey, I want to be inclusive and understanding and tolerant of your beliefs, but at the same time, I also need to be tolerant of this other belief that you may not necessarily agree with. So I really think that there's no blueprint of this is how you handle anger. This is how you handle uncomfortable situation, but it's really about leaning into it and lead with love and compassion and trying to understand from that perspective that this person is not my enemy. We have a difference in opinion. They're not necessarily out to get me. I mean, sometimes people are, but let's assume they're not, right? And lead from that angle to understand, can we talk about this? Can we dig, dig deeper and see if we can find a middle ground? Because at the end of the day, what each person really wants is to be understood. So when you're faced with anger, it could be relevant to say, hey, can we talk about this? You know, where can, where can we find a middle ground here? Mm. Thank you so much, Chisholm. So important. Um, coming to going to Erica. Erica said 
that something that William had said earlier made her think of integration initiatives. And she was wondering if the panel could reflect on the responsibility to integrate into a culture or the responsibility to be integrated. You know, where does the responsibility lie? We did touch on this in the workplace, but generally as a societal perspective, then if you like to answer that. William? I don't think it should be either or, but it should be and. You know, so, and that is why I said that uh, uh, it is the responsibility of both sides, you know, uh, at Oliver Hospital some years back, uh, my wife was there. Then uh, there's a Norwegian nurse who came to call her and said, can you come? There's, there's an African woman who, who doesn't understand Norwegian. Can you come and interpret? An African woman. My wife, a Ghanaian. Yes, in Africa. So this nurse assumed that there must be an African language which is spoken by all Africans. So she looked at me and then my wife looked at me and we knew what was going to happen. And she went and a woman from a different part of Africa, right? So both sides have to understand that there's nothing like an African language and not all white people speak English, you know? So if both sides get the relevant information that they need, there will always be good uh, collaboration. Otherwise, nothing will work. And we are not going anywhere. So that uh, it is time for us to try to find better ways of working together. Mm, definitely. Otherwise, we will end up, you wake up in the morning, you are upset, you are angry and Hatred is so eating into you, hoping that one day you wake up and all people who look differently have vanished. But no, mm. nobody is going to stop migration. It's like osmosis. <laughs> nobody can stop it. Oh, that's so true, William, so true. So we're going to stick with you. And we have a question directed to you here. How can organizations make sure to learn something from a new employee, as opposed to not only focusing on teaching the new employee something? So what can they do to ensure that they learn from new employees? Once again, there is an issue of flexibility, openness, and seeing each individual as a person who, uh, who has something to contribute. And look, I've, I've been doing this work since 2003. I've learned a lot from different people from different cultures. And because of that, I've come to appreciate the differences in our similarities and then the similarities in our differences. And I think we should never stop talking about our differences. Mm. There's some dignity in our differences, you know. Differences that 
don't break the laws of a country, we should accommodate it. So that is, uh, that is how over the years, interacting with different people from different cultures have enriched me a lot. And I try to see people as individuals. Absolutely, you just use a key word there, William, which is to enrich. And if we just look at nature and take lessons from the laws of nature, um, the differences actually come together to form and create something new. So, you know, and it's, it's more enriching and it's, you know, as human beings, if we were to learn from nature that our differences could be our greatest blessings, then our lives would be more full and more enriched. Thank you so much for that. Um, and Christina made a comment where she said, in the farming and food industry, we are learning sorry kevin has been trying to say something oh uh, sorry i didn't see that kevin you you're on mute maybe that's why i couldn't hear you you okay to use <laughs> sorry well, i i started off with osmosis and then and then william said something about um there's dignity and difference mm. uh, and uh, and i mean i had to really stop and let that one sink dignity indifference i think that's missing from a lot of the conversations these days and for me, it's everything he was speaking to about integration. For me, it's about, we can get into the politics of that and I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is how do I want to live my life in this place at this time with these people? And for me, what's very sobering is to just acknowledge that, you know, at one level, I'm like everybody. There's a level of biology and basic needs, I'm like everybody. So I can just acknowledge that like everybody who's listening now, I want to be happy, content. I don't want to be full of suffering and pain, and I want to be able to uh, develop myself. So at that level, we're all the same. So that's really useful sometimes. At another level, I'm like some people. You know, I'm like other Brits. I'm like other expat Brits. I'm like other people who have been punk, rested, all those other things that have been in my past. So that's sort of cultural influence. I'm like a bunch of other people in different ways. And then at the third level, I'm like nobody else. I'm only this Kevin at this moment, you know, with my unique set of filters and cultural assumptions and, and my unique potential. One of my Buddhist teachers used to say to me, Kevin, sometimes you think you're at the center of the universe, but that's the wrong perspective, brother. It's, you're not the center of the universe, you're the center of your universe. And that was really helpful to me because as an outsider, I often think that I stand outside of things and that there's no value in that. But she was saying, no, no, you know, that's every group needs that unique perspective of yours, even though it's very different to the group norm. So I think those three different levels of acknowledgement are really useful in terms of, you know, how do we assimilate, integrate? How do we live our lives in a way that's really useful for ourselves and others? Lovely. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. Um, I was just going to read a comment from Anne Christina. And she says, in farming and the food industry, we're learning the consequences of monoculture and the need for biodiversity, how mm. everything plays a role, but not always together at the same time which is very much the same for human, human beings. As a society, we have to be and become more human kind in capital letters. So um, scrolling down to the next questions. 
you coming in here. Bruce, um, Bruce says, one of the things I have done is to organize a session for all the people who join the organization. This was in reference to the new team member. And recently, for example, within the um, within the past six months, he's done that. So he's organized a session for all the people who have joined the organization, and he's done this within the last six months. The session focuses on the diversity and complementarity of skills, superpowers of those present, and it's about them forming a new um, community together across the organization. That's a great tip. Thank you so much, Bruce. That's really cool. Um, right, this screen is scrolling quite quickly. It's just my. You, I'm just seeing comments from Nikki here. Uh, did you get Easy's question? Uh, no, do you want to read it out? I can. Let me get to it. Um, so it says, within this context, do you have any tips for helping new colleagues feel included, especially given the current online setting? You don't end up having the usual kitchen coffee chats where you would usually have more of the informal conversation uh, and get to know each other's cultures. Uh, and I think Nikki wanted to hear a response to this. Yeah, uh, right, yeah Kevin, go and then I can jump in. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, was with one group the other week and they were saying that they had a lot of fun by, um, not, not just with the new people, but with people from different backgrounds, that everybody, uh, because we're all stuck in one place at the moment, there's very little travel going on, they did virtual travel for one another. So William might take me off on a trip to Ghana and I might take him off on a trip to the East End of London or whatever. So that you sort of introduce yourself beyond my little work, narrow working role as a fully fledged person with all those assumptions and the richness of my multicultural background and things by taking the others on a virtual trip. So you take, you do an insider travel and bring your colleagues along with you. You can do that on Zoom. And it's very easy. You, know, you can even do it as a sort of virtual travel where you actually take them there these days through all the, the different cameras that are around the world. That seemed like they'd had a lot of success with that and created a sort of um, collective glue for the group, you know, that kept them together and, and took them places which, you know, at the coffee machine, they might not do that unless they actually traveled away together. Mm. Well, uh, if I could add to that, I, I just want to quickly read Emma's uh, uh, answer, which I think is also quite good to this, I think, as a response to this question. Uh, she says, I love Easy's question too. I'm a recruiter HR person by trade, and some of the things I've tried uh, slash been on the receiving end of have been things like being curious, asking questions about the person, taking an extra minute or two in the meeting to explain some background to a workplace issue, trying to break down the language, e.g. spelling out the acronym and so on. Um, I, and I, I think this is a fantastic way. Uh, if I could add to that, just in saying how I try to work with this with my team and also how my team works with this with me is I think also just comes down to not making uh, a lot of assumptions as to when you're trying to be inclusive, when you make a joke, but then it doesn't really transfer, you know, or, uh, uh, but I think in terms of including people virtually, of course, that is difficult. And I, I think that that takes that 
it requires that extra touch where if you cannot go somewhere together or share a meal and you have that time to really connect then I think it's really important to pick up the phone or say hey let's just have a you know video call uh, and get to know each other and just I think as a leader in this case or the person welcoming the new person into a group I think it's your responsibility to lead with you know that openness and you you, you know also maybe even vulnerability you know I you could say something like I really want to get to know you and I know it's difficult virtually but can we start here you know uh, where can we build from what are your interests you know ask other things not related to work to make people feel included, maybe share a resource, invite them to like a poker thing you play online or a paint and sip thing coming up that you do with your friends. So I think it's in the little, you know, sometimes maybe even like the things you don't necessarily consider as big things. It's always the little things that make the most impact. It's taking that extra time. You know, if I think about how I do this with my team is, you know, I feel like I know them well on enough so if you're having a rough day maybe I can see it after the meeting I could ask oh during the meeting I can ask hey Nikki are you having a good day and she's like yeah I am and I will call afterwards and say hey let's talk are you having a good day <laughs> you know and just dig deep a little bit so I think it's just in being kind uh, 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 like Kevin said and just taking that extra time to say hey did you sleep well today or did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed Thanks, Chisholm. Thank you. And William, we'll come to you. Uh, yes, thank you. I want to add to what uh, Chisholm just said. Uh, you know, if you're a leader, definitely you have more responsibilities, right? And then sometimes we do observe things. Let's say you go to a staff meeting and then uh, uh, a new staff member who is new, a minority, would say something. The leader wouldn't say anything. And then uh, the majority, a member from the majority will say almost the same thing. And the leader will sing praises. It affects people, you know? So we see things, we hear things. The way you treat people differently can make a worker go back home and will be wondering, what did I do wrong, you know? Of course, I mean, uh, we are not in a paradise. There will always be a few individuals who make our hair stand up, but we should try to focus on the majority who smile with us and make us feel welcome. Because not all of us will be nice. And that is a fact. We can never change that. Yeah. So true. So, thank you. I'm done with that. So true. Um, sure. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah. Two very quick practices. Um, uh, if you're a manager to uh, employee or whether it's colleague to colleague, um, don't do a business lunch to really get to know each other and keep the glue there. Um, virtual times, then do a non-business lunch. Where I work, my team, we do no business lunches. All our lunches are no business lunches. We have to talk about our families, whatever it is. We can't talk about the business. You know? um, and a group thing, a fun thing to do is um, get everyone in the group to write up something which uh, you know none of my colleagues know about me. Put it all in a hat and then pull them out and like, have a have a quiz. You know, 
So, you know, is it Chisholm, this one who's been on stage with the Rolling Stones, or is that William? Or maybe it's Hyacinth, you know? Do that thing. That really sort of, you know, creates a buzz of us being bigger than our prescribed roles. Absolutely. And just to add to that, in my former role, um, my first day that I started, they the whole team took the morning off and they welcomed me with flowers, with chocolate, with a handwritten card just to say we've been so looking forward to you starting with us. And one of the bosses, one of the um, founders of the company cooked lunch for the whole team in honor of me joining the team. And we sat and we had a you know group lunch and we played games and they literally spent three hours making me feel so loved and so welcomed. What they didn't know was it was 12 months of the day that I lost my former husband and father of my child. They didn't actually know that. So I was so broken inside and so emotional, but they made me feel so loved. Here we go. So the little things mean a big thing to a lot of people. And on that note, we have come to the end of this conversation. Oh, okay. End it with tears. We start with dancing and we end with tears. <laughs> <laughs> tears of it's joy. It's all good. <laughs> tears of joy. Um, so thank you everybody for your comments for your suggestions for your questions thank you to our beautiful panelists for your wisdom that you've shared thank you everybody this has truly been a phenomenal um event led me to tears God. and um i look forward to the next event and i believe one of the team nikki or susanna is going to add the details in the chat here we will follow up with um, a follow-up email to share resources, to share information that was shared in here. But I really just want to say thank you. You guys make all of this work worthwhile. You coming back month after month really, really adds so much value. And as you can see, the speakers just get better and better and better and better with the, what they're adding and delivering. So thank you. So we, we have some shoulder shaking to end the session <laughs> with today. Shoulder shaking. <laughs> and if everybody I just... you were going to break into song, Hyacinth. Yeah. Come on, lead us in something. Yeah, break into song. So because we've had our guys here today, we can go, let's hear it for the boys. Woo! Let's give the boys... <laughs> and let's hear it for the ladies. <laughs> everybody wants to dance. Yeah. Let's hear it for the ladies. Yeah. Let's hear it for the ladies. <laughs> let's hear it for the people who don't define themselves as either. And see, so you don't even have to be able to sing. You just thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, William. <laughs> thank you, everybody. And you know, thank you. We look forward to seeing you again at the next session. You guys rock. We love.